0: And be in prayer.
1: Few people in history ever suffered as much hardship and loss as Job. What did he learn from it all? For that matter, what can we learn? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares three lessons we can take to heart based on Job's ordeals lessons to help us endure and overcome our own times of hardship. With the conclusion of his message, when trials become our teacher, here's David.
0: Hey, I can't tell you how important it is that we um, learn from this passage today. One thing I'm sure of, and I'm sure many of you are now very confident about this too, and that is nobody gets from the cradle to the grave without going through trouble. I mean, we all experience our times, and right now with COVID-19, everybody's kind of on the same page and the question isn't, why is this happening? That might be an interesting discussion for for a half hour. But the real question is, what is God trying to teach us during this time, and what should we be learning? I remember when I came away from my experiences with cancer several years ago, I sort of had this prayer in my heart, Lord, help me to learn everything that I'm supposed to learn because I don't want to take a refresher course. Uh, I think most of us feel that way. So when trials become our teacher— That's when we really learn important lessons. We'll get back to our study of Job chapter 2 in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you about a book that is very exciting to me. It's written by Rob Morgan, and it's called God Works All Things Together for Your Good. On the back cover of this book, there's an endorsement by Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. That's not me. That's another Jeremiah, Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. And in this endorsement, here's what he said. In this landmark book, speaker and author Robert J. Morgan sheds new light on an old promise, and when you grasp the power of the 28 words of this verse, you'll never look at it the same way again. And I wrote an endorsement for the book, and this is what I said. God works all things together for your good is a brand new treatment of an old and enduring verse. After you have finished reading this book, put it where you can find it. If you don't need it, somebody you love will. This book is our way of saying thank you for your gift to Turning Point during the month of February. We exist on the free will offerings and gifts of our listeners. That's the way we think it should be. And uh, we are so grateful for your faithfulness, not just now, but over the years and now into 2021. And we want to encourage you to be involved with us that way. Uh, We'll be here for you every day, no matter what. And we thank you so many of you for being here for us. We want to say thank you in a very specific way during the month of February. And this God-honoring book by Rob Morgan is our gift. So when you send your resources to help us, ask for this book and it'll be on its way to you before you know it. Now part two, um, When Trials Become Our Teacher. Don Baker has written a book called Pain's Hidden Purpose. And in that book he has written these words. He says, many have speculated as to just what Job's wife may have meant when she looked at that emaciated and blackened body and suggested that Job end his suffering. Some see Job's wife, he wrote at this point, as hardened and bitter, unconcerned for his relationship with God. I see her, wrote Don Baker, as a sensitive, caring, concerned woman who loved Job and honored his commitment. No family could have enjoyed the oneness that Job's family shared if their mother had been calloused or cruel. But she was stretched at this point. Weeks of suffering had passed without relief. Every morning, she woke up to the same pain, only to find it intensified. Every night, she'd pray for her husband's healing, but it never came, and there was no medication, no Tylenol-3, no Percodan, no Demerol, no morphine to ease the pain, no Valium, not even an aspirin to help him go to sleep. His suffering was so intense, his looks so hideous, his condition so infectious, that he was forced to move out of the house and relocate at the city dump and she couldn't stand it any longer in a moment of deep and frustrated anguish she suggested job why don't you curse god and die tell god you've had enough he's not going to heal you he's gone back on his promise he's not even aware of your problem job i'd rather see you dead than like this maybe we could die together end of quote It's hard to blame this woman, isn't it? When you realize what she was experiencing. But to his credit, Job didn't listen to his wife's advice. He gave a solid answer in verse 10. He said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Job's response here was profoundly simple. As you read the language, here's basically what he said to her. He said, woman, don't talk like a foolish person. You're talking like an unbeliever. (laughs) Don't do that. Shall we accept good from God, he said, and not accept his adversity? And he rejected her suggestion. Job was slowly, methodically being stripped to the very nakedness of his spiritual being. All the things that clothe the spirit of man were being ripped apart. All that man leans upon for help and strength was taken from him until we now see this man left alone, a soul that was forced to stand naked in the universe of God. All the props removed. I want to stop for just a moment and put a little counsel in here if I might. I want to take just a moment and remind all of us now that we've done away with all of the ups and downs of Job's wife, (laughs) and just say to the wives here, don't ever, ever underestimate your importance to your husband. Don't ever think your words of affirmation are less important than others. I promise you, your husband cares more about what you say than what anybody else on the earth says and especially when you're going through times that are stressful and difficult. He needs you, and without you, he probably won't make it. Sometimes when difficulty comes, couples have a tendency to pull apart. But if you read the scripture and follow God's way, you will know that when difficulty comes, godly couples come together. And they face the trauma and difficulties of life as a team and they go through and come out victorious. I remember reading about a time when Martin Luther was going through a very difficult time in his life. He was being criticized by everybody, and he was overwhelmed, and like sometimes happens, he got really depressed. His wife realized how serious things had become for Martin, and she decided that she would do something to help him come out of his depression. So she put on a black dress, and began to express herself as if she was in mourning. She went about her duties in the house with a terrible look of sorrow on her face. And Luther was startled by her appearance and he said to her, who died? She said, oh, God did. God died, what in the world do you mean, woman? She said, well, the way you've been acting, God must be dead and all of a sudden Luther got the point and he came out of his depression. Now I don't know how creative you ladies are but that's certainly one you can't use because I've told everybody about it. (laughs) There's all kinds of ways to encourage your husband and to help him see things as he should. So we've come through the first two sections of the second chapter, Job accused by Satan and abandoned by his wife and now we come thirdly to Job assaulted by his friends. And we read in the second chapter of Job, In verses 11 through 13, now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Namathite, for they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they raised their eyes from afar, they did not recognize him, and lifted their voices and wept, and each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. And they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. No one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Now today, whenever you say the phrase Job's comforters, what you mean is you're talking about somebody whose counsel only makes you feel worse than you did before they came most of the commentary about Job's friends is negative but let's take a moment and think about the good things that they did first of all they came to Job when he was in trouble you know it's easy to be a friend from afar off but these three guys got together and they went to where Job was and there was some kind of commitment on their part they made an appointment it says together to go and see Job and they also had hearts of compassion when they saw him from afar they were taken back by his appearance and they began to weep. The intensity of their mourning was the kind usually reserved for death or total disaster. The Bible says they tore their robes and they wailed and they threw dust into the air. And then the wisest thing they did, they kept quiet for seven days. They didn't say a word. Joseph Bailey is a man who suffered a lot and I have a number of his books. He's got a book about death and how you face it with other people. And he wrote this little paragraph. He said, I was sitting torn by grief. Someone came and talked to me of God's dealings, of why it happened, hope beyond the grave. He talked constantly. He said things I knew were true. I was unmoved except to wish he'd go away. (laughs) He finally did. Another came and sat beside me. He just sat beside me for an hour or more, listened to what I was saying and answered briefly prayed for me and left. I was moved, I was comforted. I hated to see him go. (laughs) Many of us have observed that Job's friends made up for their silence later. (laughs) And they sure did. And as you read the rest of this book, you discover that the dialogue between Job and his friends was basically negative. They saw Job in the midst of his anguish. They saw the horrific picture of a reeking dump and heaps of ashes and smoldering fires and stench and buzzing flies and scampering rats and all the other ruins of civilization. Even before Job opened his mouth, his friends had already formed a clear opinion as to what his problem was. Was it not clear to all the world that a man whose body was rotting away like this must be a terrible sinner? And in the chapters that are ahead, they're going to accuse Job of that. They were totally wrong, but that's what they decided was the problem. Now, as we review these chapters that we have studied, these two chapters, I wanna take just a moment at the end of this sermon and ask what do we learn from watching this man go through this incredible time of anguish there are three principles I want to leave with you put them in your notes most of all put them in your heart they are found in the first two chapters of Job but they're also all located in one verse in the tenth verse of the second chapter so let me share with you what they are first of all trials teach us patience Job turned to his wife and he said to his wife you speak as a foolish woman speaks Patience is the passive side of endurance. In Job's answer to his wife, he demonstrates his patience. He doesn't scold her, he doesn't rebuke her. He does not try to put her down or respond to her in a negative way. He reasons with her and he tries to help her see God through his eyes. In the only mention of Job in the New Testament, Almighty God gives us a clue as to God's purpose for Job's suffering. In James 5.11, you read these words, Indeed we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. This verse indicates that Satan's purpose was to try to get Job to be impatient and to give up. Job became impatient with himself. Later on, he becomes a little impatient with his critical friends, but he never lost faith in his God. Though he did not know what God was doing, he did not know what he could do about what God was doing, he did know that he could trust God. In essence, especially to his wife, Job mirrored the compassion and the mercy of his God. How many of you know that when you're going through tough times, one of the things you really need more than anything else is patience? When you're under pressure and you feel the weight of the pressure, if you're not careful, you're flying off in every direction, and you're ending up acting in a way that you don't normally act. By the way, did you know that the only way you can learn patience is through going through trials? I didn't make that up. Over in the book of James, chapter one, verses two and three, it says it just as clearly as it can be said. Listen to this. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So here's some advice from your pastor. Don't pray for patience, because if you do, you will get tribulation. That's how God gives patience to his people. Secondly, trials not only teach us to be patient, but they teach us perspective. In Job chapter 2 and verse 10, Job says to his wife, shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? Job's perspective on God is clearly evidenced by this statement. When it comes to trials and to life itself, perspective is everything. Perspective is how you see something from your perspective. I read a story about a man who was scheduled to sing at a youth group meeting for high school students at his church. Before he left to go to the meeting, his four-year-old little girl tugged at his sleeve and said, Daddy, where are you going? He said, well, I'm going to go sing for some kids at church, honey. She said, can I come too? Sure, he said, you can come. So the man took his daughter to the youth group meeting and they arrived and the little girl looked around at the high school kids. And then she tugged at her father's sleeve and she said, Daddy, you said there are going to be kids here. Where are they? Her father looked around and pointed to the 30 or 40 high school students in the room. Just look, he said. There are kids all around you. The little girl put her hands on her hips and scowled and she said, Daddy, those aren't kids. Those are babysitters. (laughs) It's perspective, isn't it? It's how you look at something. When you're a little kid, teenagers are babysitters. That's what they are. Job had perspective on his trials, and I love this section of Job's comments. He realized that he had been the recipient of many undeserved blessings from God. My friend Erwin Lutzer, right after 9-11, wrote a little book called Where Was God? And in this book, he tries to answer some of the arguments and the questions that were leveled at God about that terrible tragedy. If you're looking for a little perspective, listen to what he said. He said, before we ask why so many people die in natural disasters, we should ask a different question. Why are so many people, ourselves included, still living? We've learned that sunshine and crops are a sign of God's mercy, Yet how many people give him thanks for beautiful weather and the numerous benefits that nature regularly bestows upon this planet? And so the sun shines to warm us and the rain falls to bless us and the stars shine to remind us that God is not only in heaven but also on earth to give us mercies we do not deserve. We should be grateful for the times when the earth is firm, when the tornadoes do not blow, when the floods do not come. The book of Lamentations describes the grief of Jeremiah and then says, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lutzer goes on to say that life is a gift and God has the right to give it and to take it. We cannot approach this question with an attitude of entitlement, believing that we have the right to life, liberty, and happiness. We can pursue these things, but God is not obligated to give us the blessings he graciously chooses to send our way. Often, he said, the same people who ask where God was following a disaster thanklessly refused to worship and honor him for the years of peace and calmness in their life. They disregard God in good times and yet they think he's obligated to provide help when bad times come. They believe the God they dishonor when they are well should heal them when they are sick. The God they ignore when they are wealthy should rescue them from impending poverty and the God they refuse to worship when the earth is still should rescue them when it begins to shake. (laughs) We must admit that God owes us nothing, said Lutzer. Before we charge God with not caring, we must thank him for those times when his care was very evident to us. We are ever surrounded by undeserved blessings. Even in his silence, God blesses us. And that's what Job said to his wife. He said, honey, yeah, these are tough times, but we've had a lot of good times. And shall we not accept good and bad equally? Do we get a pass on all the difficult things? No, no. Job teaches us patience and he teaches us perspective. The book of Job teaches us that when things are good, we can praise God. When things are tough, we can praise him because God is good, he never changes. And he is worthy of our trust no matter what is happening. Finally, trials teach us persistence. The Bible says in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Job proves that it is possible to worship God in difficult times, even if God chooses not to explain to us what's going on. Calvin Miller says, having answers is not essential to living. What is essential is the sense of God's presence during dark seasons of our questioning. Our need for specific answers is dissolved in the greater issue of the Lordship of Christ over all the universe. Those that have answers and those that don't. Anna and Horisho Spafford returned home to Chicago after the terrible tragedy in the Mid-Atlantic. And they had a second family. First a daughter, finally a son. And then one more daughter. But sorrow was no stranger to their home, as a scarlet fever epidemic claimed their youngest son. So in 1881, the Spaffords left America to begin a new life in Jerusalem, which was then part of the Ottoman Empire. They rented a house in the old city section of Jerusalem, determined to live there, as the early Christian church did centuries before them. Within a year of their arrival in Jerusalem, the family had become widely known for their love and their service to the needy in Jerusalem and for their firm belief in the teachings of the Bible. Today, more than a century later, the Spafford Children's Center is serving Jerusalem and the West Bank by providing health care and educational support to as many as 30,000 children annually under the leadership of descendants of the Spaffords. And I know that because I've been there and I've had lunch in their home. And I met their 93-year-old granddaughter who continues the work that was forged in the life of the Spaffords because of the terrible, unthinkable tragedy they experienced in their family. Anna and Horatia Spafford suffered severe things in their faith, but they allowed themselves to learn through their testing and to use their pain and their suffering to bless others and further the gospel of Christ. One writer said of them, they came to Jerusalem to do good, and they stayed to do well. (laughs) And I could only hope that for any of us who might be going through difficulty and facing the uncertainties and unexplainable things of life, that we would understand that during these days we have a choice, We can get bitter or we can get better. It's all up to us. You can't change the circumstances. You don't have the power to do that, but you are in charge of your response to them. And what Job teaches us more than anything else is this, that the circumstances of life do not have to alter our commitment and our faith in Almighty God. Job stood in the midst of it all with everything that was dear to him falling apart. And the Bible says he blessed God. And so can we. And so can we. And as you know, the Bible also says in all of this, Job did not sin against God with his lips. He did not curse God. He held on to his faith, and ultimately God restored to him what he had lost and also uh, confirmed his relationship with him. And now we have that story. I'm reminded again I think I shared this with you when we began the study of Job, that it's the oldest book in the Bible. It's the book first written in the Bible, not Genesis, Job. And isn't it interesting that in the first book of the Bible, God gave us this expose of difficulty and trouble to help us because he knew we would experience such. Well, tomorrow, we're going to turn back to the Psalms and One of the most poignant psalms, in my estimation, is this Psalm um, 142, where we have David's prayer from a cave. Every time I read the title of this psalm, I can almost hear the echo in my ears. I hope you'll join us for the next step in our Making Sense of It All series. We'll spend two days in the cave with David, extracting the lessons that will help us go on in our faith. Please join us then. I'm David Jeremiah. Thanks for listening.
1: The message you just heard came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church, where Dr. David Jeremiah serves as senior pastor. How is God using Turning Point in your life? Write us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Robert J. Morgan's Book of Comfort and Encouragement, God Works All Things Together for Your Good. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Making Sense of It All, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Thank you for your prayers and support of Turning Point. We invite you to make an even bigger impact by becoming one of our Bible Strong partners, a special group whose support of the ministry is crucial in helping Dr. David Jeremiah deliver the unchanging Word of God to an ever changing world. Turning Point is committed to presenting sound biblical teaching all across Canada. And when you stand with us in partnership, we also commit to you to provide you with empowering resources to keep you Bible strong. When you set up your online account at DavidJeremiah.ca/slash Bible Strong, you will have instant access to Dr. Jeremiah's topical Living Library audio messages and his companion booklets, exclusive club resources, and our quarterly Influencing Your World newsletter. You can also purchase additional study guides at a 50% discount for personal or small group studies with our convenient one-click checkout. Plus, join our exclusive Facebook page. You will have special access to new audio podcasts and additional content from Dr. Jeremiah. Join with other Bible Strong partners today by committing to give $25 $25 or more each month your prayers and donations are the backbone of Turning Point keeping us Bible Strong for more information or to join visit our website today at davidjeremiah.ca slash